Welcome to another episode of Threads of Enlightenment. As usual, this is one of my favorite uh, places that I like to be. And all of my listeners know this. I've been saying this from almost day one, is that when our guest comes, they come with a couple of things that I deem very expensive, time. It is one of the most precious commodity given to every single man. 24 hours is given to all of us so that none of us can argue that one has more than the other. But what we do with that time is all up to us. How we think, how we process our thoughts, belief, all of that. How we utilize time. The other is their journey. The journey housed who they were, made them who they are today. The beauty, the power, the uh, strength, all of that. And so we are honored to have our beautiful guests here so that Michaela could escort us, if you will, to the next uh, part of our human development while we are here on this planet through her journey. Welcome so much to Threads of Enlightenment. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. It's already been a laughing pleasure to be with you. <laughs> warmed up. <laughs> that it has. <laughs> Tell the folks the things that you have, uh, that you're serving others through. I want you to tell them all of them because I've told people that we are creators and uh, we create the things that we desire by how we utilize our thoughts and we become designers of life versus one that is living by default. Tell them all the things that you have designed to serve mankind. That's a very fun question and it's a really interesting one because in my human design, Literally, I need diversity. So I didn't quite cotton on to that till I was about, I don't know, in the, in the 80s. And um, during that time period, I lived in Europe and I started studying all this other stuff. But for a good 10, 15 years prior to that, I'd worked in traditional medicine as an occupational therapist. And I specialize in head trauma. And what was fascinating to me was why are people having these experiences in their life? Why did they call them in? And what are they learning on a soul level? I mean, when, when your brain is injured, you're, you become a very different person. Mm. And yet, all kinds of things can open up for them. In fact, that's what a woman told me yesterday on a phone call, how her life had changed dramatically in the last two years after head trauma. And she's had this amazing spiritual awakening. So I'm just a young therapist. I'm thinking, what? what's going on with these people? And yet, I was fascinated by the neurology of it and, you know, what we can do differently and how to help these people heal, but it was only on the physical level. Yeah. And I knew, I knew that wasn't what it was all about. It was like Western medicine is great for that. And I just wanted to know about the deeper level. So I lived in Europe for 10 years between 1980 and 1990, and I was exposed to all kinds of things, learning how to use a pendulum, flower essences that saved my hide when I was really stressed. And I worked with uh, an acupuncturist who was a physician was also psychic. And he, I walked into his office the first day and he says to me, why aren't you talking to your husband? I just looked at him. Okay. <laughs> I thought I came here for something else. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> am I that transparent or is he that smart? Uh, probably a little both. Yeah. But he was a really gifted person and he opened up for me this whole world of energy medicine. So I worked with him for a number of years and then he said to me, go to this course. And I said, yeah, but I'm not completely fluent in French. He said, go anyway. It's yeah. energy. 
So he opened up that world of working with chakras and energy and healing. And I, of course, just jumped in and something just, I got it. And I wanted to know more. And then a friend of mine um, <laughs> who I'd met in San Francisco and I was traveling and I had a, a, a deviated septum at that point because my daughter had sat on my lap and she got, hey, mom, and thrown her head back and Ouch. smashed my nose. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. And so I had a pretty good sized bump. And this friend of mine did some work on me, some energy work called quantum energetics. And my deviated septum was gone the next day. Mm. And I'm like, oh, I want to know about this. So it was, it's all about healing for me. So when I came back to the U.S. in 2000, I just launched myself into a lot of different certification programs from hands-on healing to shamanic work because I wanted to know what's the deeper, deeper, deeper level. And in that process, all these other realms began to open up past lives, yeah. talking to you know, dead people, hands-on healing. It didn't matter to me because they're all connected. Mm -hmm. So when you work on the vibrational and energetic level, it helps the physical level because that's where everything starts. So I just was curious. It didn't matter to me whether it was flower essences I was learning about or essential oils or shamanic work in terms of how it could assist people because people are ready for different levels of yeah. healing. Yeah. And some people really want to go deep and some want to stay on the, you know, more the gentler level. And so that's what I've been doing. So I'm really here to serve people and healing in many different ways. Um, so I still do transformational energy work one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. uh, I do psychic readings because, because I can and that's fun and it's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> it opens up doors for people that they haven't considered. Yeah. And then um, I do mediumship sessions, but they're really different from what other people do. Because when I consider facilitating a conversation between somebody who's here on earth and somebody who's departed, my hope is that there will be healing that happens. Yeah. Maybe it's a conversation that couldn't happen when they were still alive, or there's a question, or it was an apology. Or just, I love you, you know, it, there are lots of possibilities. So that's the intention that I walk in with it, is that this will be healing for both parties. Yeah. Uh, and the other area I like to work in, because it's really fun and it brings all these things together, is land clearing. Again, it's energy work. Mm -hmm. But it involves um, going really deep into the land, and the land is just like us. It holds old trauma. Yeah. And that trauma then sets up a vibrational frequency that in, impacts the people on the land. It can go back hundreds and hundreds of years or more. And, and there are also a lot of spirits. So this is where the mediumship helps yeah, comes in. Yeah. I can talk to the spirits that are trapped there and help figure, figure out how to release them and bring them to the place they want to be. And then, of course, there's doing the energy cleansing and the restoration work. So those are the four primary areas that I work in. And, and I love having this diversity. And I left Western medicine in 2020. And I had some interesting times there because <laughs> <laughs> when I worked in ICU sometimes, the nurses who knew me would say, can you go talk to this person? He's in a coma. You know, like, can yeah. you facilitate a conversation <laughs> with him and his family members who don't know what's going on? Or there might be, you know, eventually I had to stop doing this because my very kind boss said, 
you're out of your scope of yep. practice and you're going to lose your license. So please stop doing it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but it's like, but, but, but yeah, right. I'll lose my license. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's so. Western medicine. I'm really familiar with. <laughs> yes. <The> process. <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. We have so much to unpack. I cannot wait. Um, as our custom here at uh, Threads of Enlightenment, we like to um, take you back. We're going down memory lane, if, if they say. One of the first space by which we occupy as humans as we enter into the space called Earth on this uh, lifestyle after mom and dad has kissed us and brought us into the um, from the hospital and threw us in this cage. I tell people, feel us in this beautiful cage and uh, start restricting us from that point on and we have to climb out of this cage. It's a beautiful metaphor for life. But anyway, invite us into your family unit. What was it like to be a part of your family um, and the energies that move around within your family? That's a really loaded question to me. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to tell you the straight up truth. But... So there's like a really interesting bookend to this. And I thought I came into the family with this mother and father. But a year ago, I learned that through mediumship that my father wasn't who I thought he was. Wow. So I, when I came in as a kid, I can remember coming in and looking around going, how did I get here? Mm. This is not what I thought I signed up for. It was incredibly dysfunctional, chaotic. There was violence. There was, you know, drugs. It was just like insane. And I remember about three or four having all these great experiences out in nature. And I was so grateful that we lived in, you know, Ohio, which was pretty safe. And we had all this, we had a ravine and lots of woods around us. And that's where I was really secure. And so I spent a lot of time outside talking to the elements and the bugs and the skies and interacting with them. And so I had this alternative reality from what was going on inside the house, which was this is really spacious and beautiful and magical. And so science and nature were just like my salvation, but also very, very expansive for me as a kid. Mm-hmm. I did have enough sense not to tell people about my experiences in nature because they probably would have thought I was nuts. <laughs> so I just like I just did my thing. Yeah. Um. So eventually, I had to make some choices when I was around five because I actually really wanted to either have my parents divorce or I wanted to die. Mm. And so I concocted this idea as a magical five-year-old that if I was just a doorknob, I would be okay. Mm-hmm. Well, clearly, that was a magical thinking of a, of a five-year-old. Yeah. And I also drove, dove off a picnic table at five, thinking it would become a swimming pool. So I was a firm believer in creating your own reality. <laughs> I didn't have to create swimming pools. So I had a little wake-up call there. And the wake-up call was, you better figure out another way to deal with this family. Because A, there's no swimming pool. B, you're not a doorknob. And C, you you can't take care of yourself yet. So (laughs) I hung out there for a while, needless to say. And um, fortunately, my parents did divorce when I was about 10 or 11. And uh, But... The curiosity for me was, I grew up in, also in the Catholic faith, 
Yeah. Uh, I went to a Catholic school, but I thought it was all using the Yiddish term mishigash. Like, yeah. This makes no sense. Yeah. This is not my experience of God. Why are you trying to convince me of all this? Because I'm not buying it. Yeah, yeah. And so I was constantly raising my hand, and the nuns would call me. It's well, can you explain why blah blah blah? And you know, I was sure yeah. I was a pain in their in their side. Yeah. Um, you weren't normal. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I was curious, but I didn't buy it. It just smelled yeah. too too yucky. Um. So when I went to college, I became a religious studies major mm-hmm. because I wanted to know, well, how do other people experience spirit and God? Yeah. And how does their culture affect the, their perception, their co- cosmological understanding? Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I was yeah. at a liberal arts school for a couple of years. And then my mother <laughs> says to me, um, you have to pick a practical major. I'm like, but I'm in a liberal arts school, and I didn't qualify for pre-med. She said, tough tamales, you're out until you fix them. Fix something. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. No, she wasn't kidding. Wow. Her intention, her intention was actually to have me find something professionally that I could take care of myself, yeah. like I could support myself with. At that time, I didn't appreciate it. Yeah. I later did, but but it was like, what are you doing? I'm so happy here. Like this, oh, it was just such a creative environment. So I loved it. So I said, okay. Um, I volunteered once as an occupational therapist for three or six months at Easter Seals. Yeah. I'll do that. And literally, that's how I got wow. to become an occupational therapist. <laughs> that wasn't that bad. It was like, what? Yes. So I left that school and took a year off and did my prerequisites and went to school in Boston. And I did really well. It was great. It, again, um, it was diversity. It was science. Yeah. It was personal relationships. You know, it was a very complex way to, yeah. to be in the world with people and helping people really restore their lives. So it worked for a while. Wow. Let me ask a question then. As you stated, you were in a liberal arts study and everything was so good. And everything was perfect. What did that feel like for you, the individual, when you make a statement like everything was perfect? What was happening to you, the individual, being in uh, and exposed yeah. to the type of knowledge, the spiritual aspects, bringing and pulling knowledge and information from all over and being in a library and being in that type of atmosphere? What was happening to you? I felt like I was in the right place for the first time in my life. Hmm. I was with people that wanted to dialogue, that wanted to uh, stimulate conversations, that they wanted to expand my, my awareness and all the students' awareness. They were accepting of different viewpoints. And I had a really lovely community of friends that I felt like they were my tribe. And yeah. I had never really experienced that in the other schools I'd been to. And I felt at home wow. with these people who wanted to go beyond the mundane and ask deeper questions. Yeah. So my heart was just like, oh, it was full. Yeah, I was happy, content, and I was so grateful. Yeah, that is powerful. And finally, I've... Yeah, it was. You know, um, and then you're moving from 
spiritual aspect, I love asking these questions and taking people back because then you can begin to see the thread in that individual life. And it's really a beautiful thing to unearth and witness as we engulf ourselves within the conversation. So here you are, you got your first set of training um, in the spiritual realm, and you're moving through now into the scientific realm. As you're there in the scientific realm, um, ushered in by mom's uh, volunteerism, you're now going to volunteer to do that. When you got there, uh, since you were already familiar with it, how did you begin to navigate within that space once you were there? I always liked science, so that was really okay with me. Mm-hmm. And because science to me was opening myself to the wonders of creation. Yeah. So I was kind of like in this state of awe as well as it was hard work. But it was fascinating to me. And years of Prior to that, I really wanted to be a neurosurgeon, but I didn't make it into pre-med, so I'm not a neurosurgeon. Yeah. <laughs> What's my calling? Because I was really intrigued with how does this amazing brain work? How can we we're gonna do all these functions and yet we can't see it working? Yeah. So there's you know, there's the curiosity again, how does the universe work as as represented by the brain? And so I I got into that field and I also recognized that I was able to contribute to people's lives in a very meaningful way. Mm. And that was important to me. Um, that's always been kind of a principle. Maybe that's not the right word. That's been a quality or a guiding force in my life is, is, is being of service and helping and being kind. Where did you get um, that from? Uh, where did you pick that up? Where do you think you... You said it's always been there. Where were you? How old were you when you were aware of that specific um, longing, if you will, or desire? I think it actually came out of a survival strategy first, Mm -hmm. which was if I'm really attentive and I look around and I see what people need and I address that, there will be more peace. Yeah. And and I I can fly under the radar and not, you know, be in a negative space with whomever was coming. And so that's how it started. But I also recognized that when I looked at my siblings and could feel and see their distress, that there was an opportunity there to do something to make their lives a little easier or just extend some kindness. And that felt better to me than than not doing it. So, yeah, I've never thought of it in that context. Um, I think it's just always been a part of me. Yeah. But yeah, so it's yeah. a powerful thing. Again, uh, the questions excavate patterns, and um, you're beginning to see you. I'm beginning to see you um, uh, begin as the embryo, if you will, and you're growing. And growing, you were in the spiritual piece, and you were learning, and and ecstatic went into the science, and that same feeling and energy is there of acquiring knowledge and learning, but yet open and um, experimenting of information and self 
you see it and then your thread of um, with helping and serving forming before you even become and so i always tell people some people ask me things about me and i tell them i said i am becoming and they look at me and they'll stare at me when i say that but to me what it means is that i am becoming i am i am there is room for so much growth and expansion that i don't know what i am becoming but i do know i am becoming and so i will say to them all the time hey ken what are you doing i'm becoming people think i'm a little nuts well <laughs> <laughs> here you are you're exposed to all of these and you're moving through life and you are in the science you're beginning to get a sense of how you can become a servant to those who are in pain and uh, in a series of trauma. While you were there, talk to us of some of those encounters that you were beginning to get as a young woman exposed to all of this knowledge, and yet you're able to reach uh, outside of self to look at someone beyond you and be able to, as you said, be, be able to help them, if you will. When you ask brilliant questions, I love this. It's just so lovely. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I remember being in the liberal arts school one morning. Yeah, I got up at like five in the morning because I wasn't a good late night studier. So I'm sitting in my chair reading or something. And all of a sudden I hear these voices in my head talking to me. I'm like, oh, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> and I was quite sure I was getting ready to have a psychotic break. I'm like freaked out. Yeah. So it's I can't wait till nine o'clock arrives and I can knock on you know <laughs> knock on the door of the, of the therapist <laughs> at the school. Right? Am I nuts? I'm like help? She said, "You're fine. Don't worry about it." Yeah. Which was so reassuring. But I also just went, eh, "I'm not going there right now." Yeah. Yeah. But then maybe in in that first year also. Um, I was not into drugs, but I did want to know what LSD was about. So yeah. I took it. I took it with some friends. My boyfriend, who, who was a philosophy major, who still is a philosopher <laughs> in this, at this, and the dean at the same school we went to. Um, it, it's like, oh my gosh! So, um, and and this other friend of ours, who was who became a lawyer, and he was very serious. But so the three of us are out. Out, we're having a trip, and I'm in the graveyard near our school and I realized that rocks have consciousness because yeah. I could feel that they were holding knowledge of what had preceded and what was going on and I could see and hear and feel that but I couldn't explain to my friends how yeah. I knew <laughs> empirically how rocks had consciousness but I'm like totally convinced they do yes and they're looking at me like yeah 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 you're tripping okay whatever <laughs> but I I didn't forget that yeah <laughs> so, so I still talk to rocks. Um, well, they do have it because um, there's a story in the Bible where it talks about Jesus said, if uh, that these very rocks would cry out. And um, uh, so that tells me that, and, and I tell people everything uh, has a voice. Everything that is aligned has a voice. It's just that we have been 
deprogram from uh, hearing and understanding the voice of nature. There's some that are, uh, are able to do it uh, with animals and trees and, as you said, rocks, but it has a voice. But because we have been deprogrammed, it's very hard. And when you put yourself in that state, especially when you're doing psychological, psychological, I can't even think right now, uh, psychedelic drugs, it opens you up. Um, it takes away the the fearfulness. It takes away the um, the restrictions of thoughts, and allows you to expand and go in. And one can hear the trees uh, talk. We can hear other things. And because we are in that state, people panic and so forth, and your friends and all that. But the state strips away the fearfulness, which allows you the opportunity to then move around within that um, realm, those realms of life that are constantly speaking, but we are incapable of hearing because we have been deprogrammed. So when you're in that state and you are um, receiving information from the rocks because they've been there and they have a story to tell. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree with you that it, they do have a, a, a voice, but I wasn't high when I, when I knew that. But, but, <laughs> but I, do, I do know that um, nature is constantly speaking to us. It's just, again, we've been deprogrammed. And so, but there are those that are able to be in tune with them and you see them all day long, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, so here you are. You guys are experimenting with um, opening up the self. I had an opportunity to do the graveyard thing, but I couldn't do the graveyard. I was like, I can't do it there. So I, I, <laughs> I was like, I'm not. But I know, I know my mind, and I know I would have been. Uh, they would have had to pick me up off of one of those uh, um, places that we were going to do it. I just couldn't do it because a couple of my friends we were in there trying, and they did it, and I just pulled out of there because that's not my thing. Um, but I get it. Um, so here you are, you're, you're moving through, you're expanding, you're learning. As you're doing this, um, how are you then connecting to all of these experiences and bringing them into the natural realm? How are you doing that? How are you managing that transition, if you will? It was a bit like opening and closing a door for many, many years. Yeah. When I was a kid, I, I did that all the time. I communicated with the sky, the elements, the bugs. You know, There was no question that they were alive and I could communicate. So when that happened, it was just like this reawakening, but just in an, a different context. I didn't yeah. think about rocks when I was a kid. Um, but then in, for the next, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, I kind of closed it down, but I, I did a lot of meditation and spiritual practice. So I was exploring a different area. But when I came back to the U.S. in 2000 and I started working on people's bodies, these past lives would show up. And in the first couple years, a lot of clients came to me who had been or whose families had been in the concentration camps. Yeah. And I'm like, why are all these people showing up? And then I recognized that I had also been in them. So past lives started showing up for me. Um, their ancestors would show up and start talking through me to them. And 
it also linked for me why I was so comfortable with many of the people that I met my first couple of years at college because most of them were were had of Jewish descent and I was like right at home mm. and I couldn't quite figure this out but it's like oh so that became apparent later so as I started working on people's bodies things would just start to surface and so that's when the psychic work and the, the mediumship work would happen and the past life work would open up and you know the body holds everything and yeah. sort of the energy body so everything that's happened from one lifetime to the next and all your gifts your wounds your brilliance your downfalls you know ways you've died days ways you've survived it's all there yeah so it just started surfacing and i kind of just trusted it because let me back up for a minute oh so I had to make a really big choice in, what year was I? Hold on. Around 2000. I was living in Belgium and my kids were there. They were quite young and their father was still there. And we were separated and it was a very, very toxic relationship. And I couldn't work there because they wouldn't accept my degree. So I had to make a decision at some point about what's the best choice for me and the kids for me to stay, which would have been really, really hard yeah. because I couldn't financially support them cleaning houses or doing things. And I couldn't work professionally. Or is the highest choice for me to go back to the States and legally try to get them to come with me? So I sat with some friends who were part of a meditation group and I asked them to all hold this question, which they did. And so at the end of the meditation, each one of them said, it's the highest choice for you to go back to the U.S. And I'm looking at them with swear words running across my mind, like, what the heck? Yeah. Like, what? How can that be the highest choice for everyone? And I didn't want that answer. But I surrendered to spirit and said, spirit, you're, you're in charge of this process. Yeah. And this is kind of like the verification process. If this is really what I'm supposed to do, I'll follow it. But I didn't want to. Yeah. But I did. Because my kids were really young. So when I got back to the U.S., everything I needed was provided for me. I found a car through my old mechanic. Someone, my sister offered me a place to stay. Well, I hadn't had a job and lived in the U.S. in 10 years. And yeah. who was going to let me rent, right? Um, I found work very, very quickly through an old colleague that I used to do some legal work with and OT work with. She and I worked. She said, oh, I know where you can, I can get you in. <laughs> a job shows up. I'm yeah. like, okay. This is all within like six weeks. I'm like, wow. whoa. And then a, an old friend I traveled with in Europe, you know, came and did a paint, a gallery at my house. And suddenly I had a community and I'm going, and then I started doing training and energy work. It's like every single thing I needed was provided. That's powerful. It was really, so that whole surrender process to spirit and just following the guidance pretty much opened the door to I have to trust what's presented to me. I have to trust spirits giving it to me for a reason and I'll be guided as to how to work with it. I think and that's um, pretty much what I do now. Yeah, that is one of the spaces I tell uh, people that is very important 
when you are in your journey. And that is the space by which you must surrender. There is a place that you will come. And that, um, I call it your garden of Gethsemane. And I remember uh, Jesus had his, in his garden of Gethsemane, when he was came to the end of his will, if you will. And there's this man sweating blood because he has to go beyond where he's not familiar. And uh, he said, not my will, but your will, I surrender. And then he moved through. And so I tell people that space by which we all have to come there. And the blessing is beyond that space right there. Everything is already set up um, right behind that thing, but it, it will take that what we would consider a sacrifice, but I don't think it's a sacrifice. I think that's a, 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 not the right word I would tell people. It's a humbling, it's an accepting. And when you look at that, it takes you into that realm. And when you get there, it has already been prepared for you, but many people lose it right there because they still believe it is within their ability to push beyond, not knowing, no, that was your place to surrender. And um, uh, it is really beautiful to hear your story when you recognize it, even through meditation. And I, I, everyone that is uh, listening to my voice, and I tell them all the time, meditation is one of the tools that is given to us here while we are on this planet to usher us into the realm of the spirit. And it's a very peaceful place. It's a place that we enter once we expel that breath. The breath, I tell them, is the bridge by which we cross into that realm. And when you get there, what is there? Information. Lots of information that is necessary to guide you in your life. And so here you are out of your experience of meditation, uh, group meditation, which gives it more energy, and you received your direction, if you will, and you got your direction, you move forward into surrendering and walking into the provision of your destiny. You're here. All look well. You are now happy. <laughs> This is such a beautiful place because all hell break loose sometime right here. So talk to us. <laughs> what did I do? Excuse me? Back? No. So right here, it's beautiful, but yet there is more learning because the learning part is to make, is for you, those questions that you just think is for you to solidify that. Yes, I'm in the right spot, but some stuff come. Invite us into the stuff that begin to show up in your life. And this, after you painted this beautiful picture, your sister provided the place. <laughs> you got the job. <laughs> All this beautiful stuff. Talk to us and let us know some of the really good stuff 
and started showing up. Really in good stuff, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it comes, man. <laughs> it, it has to come because this is what it's all about. There was plenty of it. So, <laughs> so anybody who's done any shamanic work knows that it's the deep dive into yeah. the deep, dark pool. Yeah. Well, I didn't think I had any stuff, you know, and I might yeah. didn't smell. Yeah. You know, and it was all my ex-husband, you know, yeah. who, is, who really is pretty crazy, but it's okay. <laughs> but I was like, you know, sweet and all the, no, I wasn't totally sweet, yeah. but I still thought it was all him. Yeah. Well, I had to really come to grips with like, when I wasn't so sweet. It was like, whoa, Nelly, I did what? And and I thought it was fun. Whoops. Yeah. You know, and, and in other words, I'd call I was the perpetrator, I'd caused suffering. And I had to come to grips with how did I cause suffering with my ex husband yeah. and my kids and in my own family? And that was really humbling. Yes. Yeah. You know, and still I look around, have I caused suffering? Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. I, I still am capable of doing it and have to, like, look deeply at what's going on there. Um, so that took me for a good 10 years <laughs> <laughs> or more. I'm still working on it. You got that, your, yeah, your PhD and, and suffering. <laughs> no kidding. I was like, oh, my God. And, and then one day I woke up. I don't know, I was writing a blog or something. I don't even know how, maybe it came out of meditation, but I realized that my suffering around who my ex-husband was and I wanted him to be different. And how come I'm always surprised by how he behaves? Like, what? How can he do that? Yeah. Was totally because I refused to accept who he was, what he was, yeah. and how he behaved. It was my refusal to accept him and my ego that wanted him to change yeah. that caused me to suffer. Yeah. When that light bulb went off, I went, oh. And I no longer engaged in the same way. I just disengaged. And it was like, and I just saw him actually in May. And he's still suffering. And I could just be there and be yeah. compassionate, but not engage with yes. it. Um, so that was a really tough one. Um, compassionate detachment. Did, I yeah, have to learn that. You know, like, it's a powerful lesson, isn't it? It is. And I could actually feel the depth of his pain yeah. and understand what just on a, not a global, but a more, a larger level, just that he hadn't, hadn't taken the opportunity or that wasn't his, his journey to yeah. do some healing around it. And how incredibly painful that was for him and for my kids as well yeah. to have to be around that. So um, that was one piece of it. So learning about past life stuff that I, when I wasn't such a sweetheart, um, having to deal with his stuff and also realizing, I think I had to really come to that with my mother as well. Yes. She eventually didn't develop dementia. And I was again, responsible for the one overseeing her, her care at a distance and all that for years. But it was a really um, a good opportunity to just be able to be kind and, and loving, even though I didn't like her. Yeah. It was okay. I could still serve her and be in her and uh, try to do what was the best thing for her towards yeah. the latter years of her life. So that meant a lot of forgiveness and acceptance and a lot of turning, you know, the Ahopona prayer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really like looking at, okay, 
how did my actions hurt her? Yeah. Well, again, I thought I, I was... And then I realized, oh, my distancing with her, because I didn't like her, created pain for her. Mm-hmm. Whereas I just thought it was survival and smart. But yeah. in fact, it, it caused her pain. So continually looking at what was the relationship between my unhealed stuff and how did that cause someone else suffering? Yeah. It was a really, it's, it's still a journey I, I look at. It'll be a journey until you pass. Um, uh, because uh, I think we are so deep that it takes, as you say, uh, several lifetimes for one to unfold the beauty that is you. And um, I remember being a caregiver to my mom and my dad when um, my mom had died, had a stroke, and she came was in a coma, and she came back out and, uh, because of a physician mistake. And um, I remember visiting her and my dad, and I would, uh, and the nurse had left, and my mom. I'm sitting there talking with her and my dad, spending time with them. And uh, I, I smelled my mom. She had made on herself, and I knew both of them. My dad couldn't help my mother, and I remember sitting there and looking at them and realizing as a man, that my relationship with my mom was about to change. And I remember um, actually walking myself through that and uh, thought to myself, what an honor that I'm able to do this for her because I was a pain in my parents' ass. And so... I was that black sheep from a young boy, and I remember um, talking with my mom and um, explaining to her that it was my time to serve her, and because I could see her, um, you know, and I made her aware as his mom, I am honored because I know what I have put you through, and. Um, you know, so we got a chance to spend much time because, as I said, I saw a change in my relationship and I became the caregiver to my mom and dad for um, uh, about a year and a half as a result. But it's a really interesting space to be because it is humbling and so many different emotions live there that you learn of yourself. And... Um, it's an honorable place because I, as you, didn't like my parents much. And then because of some of the trauma that uh, was uh, birthed from that relationship, but we became really good friends and we healed. And it was an opportunity for us to get a chance to um, talk and um, mm-hmm. experience each other before they passed on. And so is a great place to be, but it is a humbling place. Here you are, you got a chance to visit and be with mom. And uh, you saw much of self as you are beginning to learn and excavate deeper about you. And you're moving through, you're dealing with all of the past lives. You're seeing all these different things, accumulating uh, information. You're meditating, you're journaling, you're you're, uh, blogging, all of these things. What was happening to you as you have all of these things coming from 
all these directions. You have the spiritual, you have emotional, you have all of these uh, uh, entities and information landing into you. Talk to us as to how did you manage it? How did it begin to form you? And uh, what perspective did you start to uh, bring in front of you? You began to shift yourself. It's a really good question. The, the first thing that comes to mind is something that my shamanic teacher taught me, which was that, of course, there's no blame. Yeah. We all sign up to do this. Mm -hmm. And one life you're the victim, one life you're the perpetrator, one life, lifetime you're the witness. So it's all designed for you to be able to, to try out these different positions and have a wide range of experiences to expand your consciousness. Yeah. That understanding was, for me, the linchpin that allowed me to go into these difficult places with less judgment or yes. no judgment, hopefully. And just to accept what's here to be learned and to be gained. So that was really critical because I also had this propensity to um, be in a victim place from mm -hmm. when I was a child. There was a lot of stuff that happened and set that energetic up for me. Well, you try to swim As, um, in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to dive. I just learned how to dive into the pool, you know. So I wanted to try it while I'm waiting for my friend. Yeah, so I gave off the picnic table, you know, like, yeah. why not? But yeah. So yeah, you, yeah. I thought I would, you know, maybe that contributed to what happened to me later. But okay. yeah. and, and I never told anyone until I was about 18. And my mother said, you never told anyone. I went, no. Are you crazy? <laughs> like, why would I tell them that? She's really stupid. <laughs> or something else. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, but that actually helped me get through a lot of experiences where I took on dark energies yeah. unwittingly because every time I was in that place, I had to look at, I had to look at what part of my own shadow have I not fully embraced yeah. and owned and healed. So that was a lot was going on with me. Simultaneously, I had to. Also, well, this is keeps showing up, so I'm just going to talk about it. Yeah. I am really grateful that I can work as a medium because I've had many conversations with my mother. Yeah. So she passed like nine years ago or so, maybe 10. Um, and I got to understand that we keep evolving as souls, even when mm. we've left the body. Yeah. And so the first time she, she shows up, she goes, I forgive you. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> like, huh? I did my best here, pal. <laughs> and, and then, like, I don't know about this. She was still pretty cheek, cheeky, like, yeah. eh, you know. And the next time she shows up, she said, I guess I wasn't a great mom. I said, no, you weren't, but you did your best. Yeah. yeah. So then a little more time goes by. And then, then she shows up and she says, I'm really sorry. I see what I put you through. And I could feel and see how she was uh, unveiling her own 
history mm-hmm. and getting to the essence of who she was and forgiving herself and asking for forgiveness. And then I had a conversation with her about what happened with the person who was my father that I never knew about. Yeah. And so it's all these levels of, I had to just be open and accept that I don't know yeah. and it will be revealed. So it's been a process of opening, going deep, yeah. opening, going deep. You yeah. know, it's, it's not been a straightforward process, but as I heal each layer, I feel more of my essence and more of a place where I just want to serve. Yeah. And I don't have so many judgments anymore in me and I'm not, the perfectionist quite that I used to be. <laughs> I yeah, still have some that... perfectionism, <laughs> but I've softened. Yeah. <laughs> I got uh, some of this still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have my straightforwardness that um, my sister told me I needed to be a little more tactful. And so I, once in a while, it'll come up where I have no patience with the tactfulness. <laughs> so I get it. So you're always learning. Um, I use the analogy of a plane. When a plane takes off to go to a destination, um, it's never a straight line. There's a couple of things needed to, uh, laws that needed to be enacted in in order for that plane to start flying. And that is, it has to break a law in order to engage another law. And so that is the journey of our walk. You have this plane that is stationary and it needs to, um, have pick up momentum, which will then take it into the law of flight once it begins to it reach a certain space and uh, speed. When you get into the law of flight, you bypass all the laws that keep you in the ground, the law of gravity that you had a wonderful chance to experience as a young girl after she dives off this table. Um, and then when you <laughs> you get to that level, um, it could be really nice and rosy, but that's not a uh, flight to go. The direction that, that plane is going, but it's never in a straight line. There's things that we are familiar with as flyers. It's called turbulence. Turbulence can be all kinds of different types. There's so many different types of turbulence. But when that happens, the plane is moving, and that pilot, who we are, is adjusting based on the type of turbulence comes. But the compass that we use and the pilot use. That is what's guiding that that direction is, is that we are committed to growth. That is our compass. And that compass is constantly being tested because we are tossed all over the place based on the type of turbulence that shows up. But eventually, that plane will land. And so um, that is life. It will land and you will then take off to another destination. And that's what we do. And I believe we will land and fly and land and fly until we die. So, um, and then after there, like your mom, she was still flying, landing and flying and coming back and having conversations with you. So this is who we are and this is what it's about. And so I always try to invite people to come, hurry up and get here. And I tell people there. The reason why many people people haven't done anything yet is because they're, I, I tell them, you are circular. You're living a circular life. I can tell that by letting that individual speak. And once you begin to speak, you can uh, locate them. They're circular because I tell them you're circular because you haven't made a decision yet. 
The human being is designed that once it's made a decision, I call that decision the statement of fate. That means that that statement, you believe it more than anyone else in this planet. And you will then enact uh, the corresponding actions necessary to escort you to make that a possibility because you believe it more than anybody on this planet. Until you get there, you will always live a circular life. And so I invite folks to come in. I have someone here that is, has been through some stuff and I use the clean language because I'm on the podcast because I tell people, make sure that the person that you're sitting in front of and that you're entrusting to guide you, they have to go through some stuff because if they have just gone to the class, the master class, and they come out with a certificate, they don't know nothing. And you will find them in a minute and you will locate them and go to yourself. What am I doing here? They are one dimensional. They were never tested. They have never gone through and they cannot understand and guide you. But I got somebody here on this podcast. I've been through some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That can guide you guys. And those that are listening, I'm going to provide everything for you because I want you to get into her space so that you can be guided, so that you can get off of that circular um, mentality. It's a, it's a thinking that you must begin to get some insights. The reason why I say that you have to find someone who been through some stuff is this, because they know the questions from the conversation that they are, they're having. They know the question because they've been where you're at. They know the question that they were not able to um, ask themselves until after they've gone through. And because they know the question to bring the results that is necessary to move you through, because like I said, they've been through some stuff, you'll be able to move <laughs> through yours much faster than you will ever, ever in your life. It's like taking the elevator when you bring a coach and someone with um, that ability to walk with you. It is taking the elevator versus uh, uh, walking. And so I want to invite you guys. I'm going to provide everything for you. So here you are. You're going through some stuff, girl. You yeah, are growing. I have. <laughs> you are uh, expanding and uh, you are learning and practicing your craft, if you will. I'm very fascinated with the, the scientific piece because that, to me, when you are seeing folks being um, put down, if you will, uh, medically or uh, by drugs and put down, but they're still able to communicate. And you mentioned that your friends and the nurses will, will come to you and, and uh, because you need to have a conversation. And of course, Western medication, medicine will say to you, um, your license is going to be lost. And um, because we are a legalistic society in Western civilization. Um, so when you had the opportunity to speak to that, because you are serving, uh, what were some of those situations that you had to escort some of those? Because to me, that is a fascinating place because that person is somewhere. When you were communicating with them, 
what was that like and what was said? I'm thinking of one fellow who was in a coma. He was going to die. And he had maybe six or seven people around, some of whom were his siblings. And he couldn't communicate. I don't, I don't even remember physically what was wrong with him. He was probably on a vent or something. Um, but his brain wasn't operating fully. Uh, he went around the room, vis-a-vis through me, and acknowledged what he appreciated or how he loved this person or said goodbye, except for one sibling who he said, I'm really not okay with what you did, blah, blah, blah. It was not a positive interaction. In fact, he was still like miffed at him about something. And that sibling got so mad at me. He's like, how can, because, you know, I'm just the pizza delivery person. Don't shoot me. I'm sorry, you don't like pepperoni. You know, the really spicy one, but that's what you ordered. Oh, and you asked for extra chilies. And, and this is, and I, you know, I couldn't. I when I'm channeling somebody or I'm listening to somebody, yeah. I do not change the verbiage and I don't change the tone because they are putting their trust in me to communicate it as accurately as possible. Everybody else was so grateful. They were like, oh my God, they had closure there. They, they felt like they got to, you know, communicate their love for the, their, their sibling or their family member. It was like, like peace actually came over everybody. It's like, okay, I'm so grateful we could have this conversation because there's no other way we could do it. We can say our goodbyes. And that's a lot of what happens in a mediumship session yeah. too, you know, this completion. And I couldn't do anything for this one member other than to say, I'm really sorry, but this is how he expressed it. And I, I can't change that. And I'm sorry it's difficult for you yeah. to hear. So that was one of them. And for me, it's really an honor to be in that sacred relationship because it's really uh, a heart-opening experience whenever I do that, whether it's I'm yeah. doing a reading or, you know, mediumship. Other times, because I have a shamanic background, I could also see when people had some really dark energies that were running the show yeah. and were blocking them from feeling their own light essence because that's the core of who we all are and that it was creating some obstacles for them in healing or maybe being able to open to receiving some some medical intervention or they were just being miserable in their lives and so i would very respectfully say there's an energy that's hanging on to you would it be okay if i released it and i very discreetly i didn't make a lot of sound or noise i just very discreetly moved it on yeah other and they would shift from being cranky and miserable and really Mm -hmm. a you know, pain in the backside to really be calm and centered and so grateful, like, yeah. okay, I can deal now. So that was another example. And then the other one um, was when maybe somebody was transitioning mm-hmm. or getting ready to transition, and there would be a loved one there to help them, or maybe there was an angelic being or a spirit guide to help them. And I would just say, I don't know how I did it, but I would ask permission. Is it okay if yeah. I share what I'm observing or I have an awareness of something? And in, inevitably, if I was, I used to wait for it to happen three times. Say it. Say yeah. it. Say, okay, yeah. okay. By the third time, yeah. all right, I'll do it. You know, because like, it's kind of like, 
mm, I'm not supposed to be doing this here. <laughs> yeah. So I would ask and then I would communicate what was there for them. And again, whenever that happened, because Spirit was guiding me to do it, it was always well-received and people were yeah. so grateful and this great relief. And, you know, when energy, others' energies are in people's bodies, they can wreak havoc on the physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual yeah. aspect of it. it and when it's released, people can feel so much more at peace and like themselves again and feel clear and, yeah. you know, know where they're going. So those are the three areas that I would often intervene in before my boss told me I'd lose my license. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't do that. I, I, my background is um, uh, the, I, I was in the uh, development and operational piece of healthcare where uh, we would, I would be upfront and uh, dealing with uh, the development of the marketing um, department or uh, network development, uh, dealing with physicians and stuff like that. And so I got a chance to be within that space. And um, the legal aspect of healthcare in the United States is really interesting, you know. So it is more of a, a legalistic system than any other system where you were exposed to. A European system is much different. And then you have Asian stitched and also much different. And so it's just a cultural thing, but uh, here you are, you're exposed to all of it, basically walking around and um, getting a chance to um, uh, expand your uh, self. So here you are in your prime of life. After you've gone through all the <laughs> stuff, I got to clean it up. I got to come back, <laughs> you know, and you're here. What do you see or what are you witnessing that is beginning to happen in you as you are sitting here in this space at this time? What are you noticing as you are uh, moving through in your life at this present moment? Well, we were supposed to talk last week, but I couldn't get the technology to align with what I needed to do. So I couldn't show up last week. And as, as you mentioned, you weren't supposed to. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh, God, what are you doing? Okay. You know, it's like 1025. Okay, finally, I figured it out. That was a little too late. Yeah. However, what has happened between now and then, yeah. which of course was a perfect alignment, is two people have said to me, do you teach? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to teach how to do I don't no go to the Suzanne Giesman if you want to, you know, have a mediumship t-shirt. Yeah. I don't teach it. I just do it. And then someone else on this call yesterday says, Do you teach? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got it before the third time. All right. Yeah. So so what <laughs> and I sent out a newsletter yesterday. So what I've been guided to do is to open up um like a monthly meeting with people who are just curious about energy medicine, mediumship, psychic readings, essential oils, flower essences, just energetic support tools. Yeah. And to just start introducing it, to have a conversation with people, maybe to guide them a little bit here and there to hear their experiences. So I'm going to post it on Facebook and on LinkedIn. It's under my name. And I'm just like, okay, let's see what happens because what the woman... I was talking to you yesterday said to me is I work 
in computers. And then I have this other life where I'm really curious and I've studied all these other things, but I don't know how to bridge them. Yeah. You know? And, and then I kind of went, okay. She's <laughs> curious. She's open. She wants to figure out how to bring this awareness into a community where she thinks people are not open to it. But of course they're open. They just don't know. Yes. You know, she just has to hold that vibrational frequency and trust it. And so she inspired me to do that. So that's why I'm here today instead of last week. See? So this is for someone uh, that is listening, that's going to be listening to this podcast, is that um, they needed this information and that is why it happened. So we will provide all the links and everything so that you guys can have access to this one of these beautiful souls that I've had in my presence, in my space. And I am so honored that she allowed me to um uh, to be intimate with her from the conversations that she shared and i hope that it does the same to you i want to thank you so much for coming to threads of enlightenment and um, laughing with me this has been such a joy to be with you ken on so many levels where you can go through the deep dive and see the absurdity and the beauty and i really feel your beautiful open heart so fully thank you for being of service and offering me this opportunity to be with you i wish you you lived next door (laughs) yeah imagine that (laughs) the conversations (laughs) absolutely thank Uh, you so much you're welcome okay